1: Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Mario, what's going on, man? We're a week out from the draft, but before we get into all that, you know, like what's been going on? How's you? How's your week going?
2: Oh, it's fine. Um, we've I've mostly, I guess, just been doing that Dynasty draft with you and the other people from the Rotowire football crew and and office generally. Otherwise, I've watched pretty much all my programs already, and uh, what we do in the shadows is back on, so that's great. Saw that. Yeah, so that that show rules. I haven't seen the new episode. I'm probably going to watch that today. Now that it's going to be on Hulu without the commercials and the wretched uh, FX app, where if you if you want to watch it like the day it comes on, you have to watch it with uh, roughly 45 minutes of commercials for each 22 22- <laughs> minute broadcast. So I uh, just thought I'll, I'll wait till Thursday. Actually, um, so yeah, I'll do that later and uh, do my best to keep up with the the, the NFL media. Gets like inc- exceptionally paranoid and idle in the week before the draft because it's like we've, we, we're we ready for the draft to start but we can't we're like in this purgatory and everyone goes insane at the same time so uh, yeah the, there should be some interesting uh, drama in the, the upcoming days we had a little bit of it with like those false Odell Beckham trade rumors yesterday but that, that was just like the uh, you know that, that, that was like the the pot shot like the the the, the, the initial volley that was was more like to to see where the two sides were and you know try to try to try to get the sides moving it wasn't the real battle that that, that's coming up in the the
1: next few days and then um you know there was the whole uh jay glazer teasing this giant news (laughs) all day and it it basically i mean this is before both of our time but i definitely watched enough vh1 growing up to like know i love the 80s and i i know about uh geraldo rivera like promising to open Al Capone's crypt that supposedly had all this cool stuff in it. And <laughs> it was just an empty room or something. Um, I believe that, uh, what Jay Glazer did yesterday, what was kind of like the, the 2020 equivalent of that.
2: Yeah, that was pretty bad. Actually. I'm really <laughs> like, disappointed. I was, in Jay. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was above that kind of stuff, but I don't know. Maybe he's maybe, maybe he has some bad investments and, and just kind of like needed to sell out briefly to, to, get some sort of treat really badly. I don't know. I, I don't get that at all. He's he's normally like a pretty uh, principled guy, but that was actually just cynical bullcrap. And uh, yeah, t- to- total, total uh, scoundrel behavior. Unlike Jay.
1: Yeah, di- did not care for that. Um, you know, I was waiting around all day. I had the tweet notifications even turned on. So like that a uh, little bit, Uh, of a buzzkill there because obviously things are a little bit boring uh this week or so before the draft um let's see i got my stimulus check and uh, i made a very um sound move with it i got my windshield replaced this morning because it had a little crack in it so uh, uh
2: how did that work did you did it just like show up in your bank account yeah oh okay Yeah, I never I never check uh, my bills or anything. I don't have like a credit card or anything. I'm just like an off the grid idiot aside (laughs) from my posting. Um, Yeah, so I I hadn't seen that, but I was I kind of just assumed like
1: "Eh, they're not going to send it to me. I just, I just assume like,
2: that's eh, it's a scam. I'm, I just, I just not get it. Well, you're going to get uh, the
1: one with like the giant signature on it then
2: instead of Oh, that'd the, be cool. That's, the, well, that's, the, that's the one that I want. Like right. if I could choose direct deposit versus that, I'll be like, I'll, I'll wait six months for the signed check with the, with the big boys.
1: Excellent signature on it. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, Donald, Donald, best one, best signature. But now I have a pristine windshield and it feels pretty good. So that's nice.
2: Yeah. I was, I was like, the, this John car looks like uh, when you when you drove me to that uh, soup kitchen thing that we did. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like, wow, John's car is a lot more like the my friends from home's cars, and we're we're like such dirtbags. And I didn't think you were one. Um, so yeah, I was. No, it's look. These are my people, John. It's not an insult when I say dirt bag. Like I am one of them. I was like, damn, John's one of us. Um, but then you go and get your windshield fixed, and you know you're, you're too good for. It. I know so, yeah. it's
1: like Metallica cutting their hair, but I mean, yeah. I, I still have um, at least forty to fifty uh, burned mixtape CDs that are uh, lining the sides of my it's, like doors.
2: Yeah, that's pretty clutch. Yeah, that's good to have. That's you, you're staying to your roots a little bit, but yeah, I would say it's less like it's less than when Metallica cut their hair and more like when they were shopping at Armani exchange or mm-hmm. whatever that was, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, that picture. It's a funny oh, meme, yeah. Like James, James Hetfield with like $40,000 worth of clothes in a bag, but also looking vaguely menacing, <laughs> um, not convincingly vaguely. Uh, he, it is still a Gucci or what it was Gucci, something like that. Yeah. Uh, that's you getting a windshield that isn't shattered as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah. Kind, kind of a cop out move, but, uh, it, it's, it's nice to, to have that, I don't know. It's got a good field of vision to it now. And I'm uh, not
2: actually holding anything no, against No, you. no, no. i a real windshield, John. It's <laughs> and,
1: okay. And then I also got um, to, you know, speaking of programs, I've been watching The Sopranos, and, and I figured uh, I got to do at least one frivolous purchase with this, so I got me a nice Lacoste tracksuit that, that's going to be coming in, and oh, that's, nice. that's going to be fly. You were kidding about that. No, man. I'm serious oh, about my
2: bits. Wait, so is it Lacoste Le- is not Puma or Adidas? Correct. I, oh, okay. I uh, don't know much about tracksuits. I'll just say it. I don't know much.
1: I would have, I would have thought that you'd be the sensei on the matter. I
2: appreciate them, but I like. I'm more familiar with like, I don't know, just band shirts, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's true. You are the authority on those, and you know, I think that uh, the Roto staff in general may be lacking a little bit in the tracksuit game. So, you know, this this could be. you are gonna wh- have to, to carry the load on this one, John. I don't
2: think there's gonna be much help on the way. We needed to step up. More than one suit, I think. Get a second one, please.
1: Okay. That might that might be in order. I, I think uh, maybe like Clay and James uh, might, might need to join in uh, as well. The the Wednesday, the, the prospect pod guys. I see
2: Clay getting into track suits.
1: I could definitely see Clay doing it. I, I think that would work extremely well for him. And then we could just start like playing like socially distanced dominoes at the parks, you know, there's a whole realm of possibilities you could
2: stand in front of the closed uh, for and just like <laughs> sit there drinking tiny espressos
1: that's actually genius. Okay, I might, might actually end up doing that. All right, so before I give away too many of my awesome tracksuit life plans, uh, let's get into uh, the meat of this podcast. Uh, you just released a new updated first-round mock that accounts for um, some of the trade rumors that are circulating, swirling um, as we sit here about a week from NFL draft time. It came up yesterday yeah. that Atlanta has the thirst. Explain.
2: Well, Thomas Dimitrov, their GM, does have a history of trading up. And I remember uh, back in the A.J. Green, Julio Jones draft, A.J. Green was the consensus wide receiver one in that draft. Julio was kind of considered like a 10 to 12 to 15 overall kind of player. And then in the few days right before the draft, it started to come out like, actually, Julio's going to go in like the top 10. And I remember I think it was Jay Glazer, actually, uh, from his from his more honorable days. I think it was him who reported, you know, the Falcons are obsessed with Julio Jones and are going to get him. They're going to trade up and get Julio Jones. And so this isn't necessarily the same thing. And and notably, it wasn't Jay Glazer. It was uh, a handful of people, though. It was uh, including, I think, D'Orlando. I don't know if it was D'Orlando Ledbetter. So, somebody with the Atlanta Journal Constitution, I want to say though, tweeted y- yesterday, like, yeah, they're they're locked in on C.J. Henderson, and that's one of those reports. Like when it comes out with that much certainty, you would normally be worried about a smokescreen, and I yeah. guess you could be in this case. They they could be, you know, pulling a fast one on us. Uh, It's just that the last time it came out that they were you know, obsessed with trading up, they did. And so maybe Arthur Blank, maybe Thomas Dimitrov, maybe they don't have much discipline in their uh, staffs, basically. Like maybe they have a leak issue. Uh, It's it's either that or they deliberately leaked it to create misinformation. So unfortunately, we're not in a position to know that. But because of the Julio incident before and because they like to trade up generally, I think I'm going to – take it seriously i think i'm gonna assume that it's true um it's just an odd thing really because they're at the 16th pick and cj henderson's whatever he's a good corner and you could argue there's a big drop off after him right uh akuda is the best corner in the draft and, and henderson is is not like there's not much reason to believe he has the skill level that Akuda does, but he, he does have a similar level of tools. And so a team could look at him and imagine, you know, tell themselves, like, we'll, we'll just coach him up and then he'll be, you know, about as good as Akuda. But AJ Terrell, we can't coach up that way. We can't coach up Jeff Gladney that way. So there's, there's maybe a valid reason for like an inflation in, in, uh, in C.J. Henderson's market, but they're already at the 16th pick. And it, of all these other reports about the draft are true, you know, things like Derek Brown's locked in the top 10, uh, Herbert and Tuar are locked into the top six. Uh, the tackles, uh, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, Andrew Thomas, whoever, Mickey Becton, they're all going in the top 10. And so it's like, well, how the hell are they all going to go in the top 10 and the Falcons also still need to trade up for C.J. Henderson? Like something's going to get pinched. And it it could be the receivers, but people are also saying like there's reports coming out today. uh, I can't remember who said it. Sorry. uh, But um, somebody was saying like the Browns are trying to trade back from 10 and the Broncos are trying to trade up perhaps for a receiver. So it's like somebody's not going where everybody is saying they're definitely going. And uh, it could be that Henderson is for sure going in the top 10. And if he is, then I guess the Falcons have to be the favorite to get him, And that's, that's what I projected here. I, in this first round mock, not because I wanted to exactly, I, I feel anxious about projecting any of these players to fall. It, it feels like it's just one of those things that's really easy to get wrong. Um, but I had the tackles falling a bit, the offensive tackles. Uh, I had the the Falcons trading up to the seventh pick, uh, where the where the Panthers are, and I had them trading uh, basically their third round pick this year and their second round pick next year, so uh, in exchange for moving up nine spots and taking CJ Henderson. Um, so that's the biggest. Complexion changed for for this mock draft relative to the previous ones. A lot of the rest of it is the same stuff. Like the first five, uh, sorry, the first six picks are the same as my last one. I'm pretty sure, okay. and that's Joe Burrow, of course, at the first pick to the Bengals. Uh, Chase Young to Washington. Jeff Okuda at three to Detroit seems obvious, but I don't know. Matt Patricia is just not that good at this, and uh, it seems like he has a lot of authority in that front area has a lot of suction with the front office. So uh, we might see them continue to just do Patricia stuff and none of that has worked out well. So if if a team, if there were a team that could screw up something as easy as, you know, you traded Darius Slade. Now you take Jeff Okuda because you're lucky to be able to get him. The lions are the kind of team that would try to screw it up. And there is, there has been a lot of consistent uh, smoke that they're trying to trade back, um, that they, that they want to trade back. And it's like, why would you want to trade back if you, you know Akuda is the guy you should take and you know that he might not be there if you he probably won't be there think, if you trade back.
1: I think if you're the Lions, the only realistic way that you could trade back and and still get Akuda, I think, in an ideal world would be, you know, uh kind of leveraging Miami and the Chargers yeah. against each other and saying, like, hey, these guys are offering me this, I'm thinking about it. Uh yeah, that right. that type of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's funny because um, armando salguero the miami miami herald guy we talked about him a couple of times in recent podcasts uh he had his thing it might have been last week already uh but when his report came out he, which he's consistently implied that the dolphins like herbert more than Tua. About an hour after he posted that, there came these – I think it might have been Rappaport saying like, uh, oh, by the way, the Lions getting some action on trading back. And it's like, wow, it sure seems like that was in response to the Herbert thing Um, as if – yeah, maybe the Tua demand for the the top three, the top five, maybe it doesn't actually exist and it's just Matt Patricia calling Ian Rappaport like – Hey, uh, Ian, can you help us out here? And uh, <laughs> Ian's like, I'll see what I can do. And there's not much he can do. So, uh, yeah, I'm projecting Okuda to stay at the third pick with the Lions. I don't really see how they can trade back unless it's uh, in a way where they lose Okuda and basically screw up their I don't know, next three years. Um, be very Lions. so Which they can do it. They have the potential. Uh, but, yeah, I have Isaiah Simmons going forward to the Giants. They, they could take one of those offensive tackles. I went with Simmons just because I – I don't know. It's he, he's interesting. And these nickel corners not getting paid in free agency makes me think that, uh, they the position is being replaced. And it's like, what are you replacing nickel corner with? Uh, unless it's and if why are you specifically moving away from these undersized corners unless you're kind of like concerned about run defense and with Isaiah Simmons being able to do that Julian Peterson stuff where he plays corner and you know, he's like linebacker Derwin James, basically something like that. Uh, that's the kind of guy you would want if you were no longer interested in, interested in paying for a player like Nickel Roby Coleman. So uh, that kind of demand, I feel like, makes sense for Simmons. And if it okay. does exist, then four to the Giants makes sense. But uh, Herbert five, two out of six, uh, CJ Henderson to seven because of the trade-up. And then because of fitting those seven guys in the first seven picks, uh, the tackles I don't have going off the board until the eighth pick – uh, with the Cardinals, when I gave them Tristan Wirfs, but there's a lot of reporting, including Bob McGinn's article today about uh, his his scout poll. Uh, he had Andrew Thomas ranked first among all the tackles, and you get some other people who are ranking Mackie Becton first. You get some people who rank Jedrick, Jedrick Wills first. I have no idea what order these guys are going to go. You had in. a lot
1: of tweets this week about Mackay Becton. Uh, would you care to expound?
2: Well, it's it's interesting. He's just he's just a really tough case for me because he. Uh he could be really good. It's just that He has the uh, Bryant
1: McKinney comp, but like there are others. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. People keep comparing him to Bryant McKinney, which is fine in general, but it's like it's one of those comp cases where you can see people are trying to reassure themselves when when you, you look at Mekie Becton, you kind of you acknowledge initially there's not really anybody like this, is there? And so if you if you're saying that he's good and you and you want a comp, you're not gonna name like uh langston walker or some other giant offensive tackle that didn't amount to anything you're gonna say like who's the biggest offensive tackle that i can think of that didn't suck and it's basically (laughs) brian mckinney because he was like six eight three forty and he was awesome and he was huge but the problem is that's not actually who mecky becton most objectively compares to he most objectively compares to someone like mike williams who was the other offensive tackle in the brian mckinney draft and rather than being six eight three forty uh brian mckinney uh sorry uh Beckton Becton is is more like 6'7-365. Mike Williams was like 6'6, 370. Uh, there was there was somebody else too. oh, Leonard Davis, who was a, a like all American tackle at Texas, just huge guy, like 6'6, 355, something like that. Uh, he was a bust as a as a tackle, um, but like moved to guard and he was pretty good there. Uh, so he he those are the two guys who who most compare to Becton's frame, but Becton could be the first of his kind, uh, largely just because of his athleticism. Like right. Leonard Davis and, and Mike Williams were both really highly regarded as athletes, especially for how big they were. But they didn't run a five one forty at 365. Uh, they probably ran like a five 40, something like that, 5'5 probably. Uh, so Becton might be a better enough athlete than those two. Uh, to, to not be like doomed to the same outcome as them. Like it's possible that Davis and Mike Williams failed at tackle because they weren't as athletic as Beckton. That's totally possible. Um, but in the meantime, I just think it's kind of weird how his advocates uh, kind of, they kind of skip the question of, of, they don't try to like just, they don't try to explain why he would be more like McKinney than Williams or Davis and that they don't really engage it you know, it could just be like they forgot who those guys are. I realize I'm neurotic for even remembering these players. Yeah. Um, but it's like they they are more similar. And so I would just kind of like someone who knows someone who knows more about offensive line than me, because I don't know anything about offensive line. It's like I I I remember who players are and what they look like and who looks like them, but I don't know how to coach someone, how to play offensive line. So some of these guys who do know more, who are Beckton fans, I'd like to just hear them explain what's different about him than Mike Williams and Leonard Davis okay. instead of just telling me, don't worry, it's like Brian McKinney because it's not like Brian McKinney. He's a, he's a totally different build. 6'8", 340 is actually quite a bit different than 3, uh, 6'7", 365. Um, but yeah, Beckton is an insane athlete. He might just be the first of his type and he could be, awesome and I don't want to bet against him. it's just kind of like I don't want to rank him first or second in the class when there's guys like Andrew Thomas Tristan Wirfs Jedrick Wills
1: who definitely
2: look like guys that I've seen before who were good in the NFL
1: okay interesting and then I guess like there's one uh the weight is different but the similar kind of like jumbo tackle uh but he had terrible athleticism and that's orlando brown on the ravens he ends up being a right tackle and you know falls in his draft after the laughably bad combine ends up being a good player um, yeah so i mean sometimes being being that freak athlete at, at that position doesn't always like it tr- doesn't mean that you're going to be great and, and being a, a somewhat of a minus athlete doesn't mean that you're going to be a failure either.
2: Yeah, and it also depends on what teams expect of them. Like, uh, I assume Brown, he's not a serious like left tackle, is he? A left tackle? Uh, No, he plays on the right
1: side. Ronnie Stanley plays left.
2: So, yeah, generally you would think like if Becton has any limitations related to being too big or whatever, you can alleviate that a little bit by having him on the strong side rather than the blind side. Uh, So. I think he's going to be good. Like if I had to call it, I'd say Becton will probably be good or very good. Uh, it's just a different question to me when it, when it's uh, will you take him over Tristan Wirfs? And I wouldn't, and I don't think the Cardinals would, if McGinn's poll is right, then I think that Thomas will also go ahead of Becton. Yeah. So I'm figuring in the, the way I wrote it here, I gave Tristan Wirfs to the Cardinals at eight, which would be pretty much a best case scenario for them. Uh, if have Derek Brown going to the Jaguars at nine. I, I, can't figure that one out it's like his his workout numbers are not very good his no. his, his stats are pretty good the film is is it's easier to see the appeal because he's one of these guys who just wrecks people and you know decapitates yeah, them it just when he
1: like collapses an entire pocket just ruins a play like with yeah he's so strong and like so violent with his hands but there were games there were times where it's like Oh, I get I I get where like maybe the that lack of athleticism that showed up in in, in Indianapolis. I see where where that happened occasionally. I thought against Alabama he got kind of dominated honestly by by their uh right guard.
2: Yeah, and it's it's one of those things like he can be good and and he can have a cert- he can be the same player more or less that he was at Auburn, but it's like if you're not contributing as a pass rusher, and if, if you're playing fewer than like 650 snaps at defensive tackle, you can only contribute so much despite how cool it might look when you tackle people or, or how many times you throw people, you know, and make them look silly. That stuff's cool. Um, but the, the, the thing is, for me, it's like we've seen Endemic hong Sue in the NFL and he's been – A very, very good defensive tackle for a while now. Uh, But he kind of had that same college presence as Derek Brown, but like way more. And he was a standout athlete with his combine testing. And he still wasn't exactly like a Warren Sapp or anything like that. So, uh, you know, Brown could be good, but he's no Sue and Sue was a pretty high bar to, to reach as far as like a top five sort of uh, defensive tackle pick. So I, I don't really like taking Brown this high, but the Jaguars media uh, Panthers media, they say that they love this guy and, and plugged in reporters seem uh, pretty convinced he's going to go in the top 12. So I project him to the Jaguars. I don't think it's the best pick for them, but I, I'm just trying to, Guess the way it'll actually go best that I can. Uh, but yeah, Cleveland at 10 getting Andrew Thomas would be pretty much a best case scenario. And if he's there, I don't know why they would trade back. I've seen people saying that they, uh, want to trade back from the 10th pick for Ezra Cleveland. For Ezra Cleveland. I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually Austin Jackson. Um, but a zone blocking tackle basically is what they need. And either of those guys would work. Either of them should be available 20th pick or, or later, and, uh, but at 10, it's like that, Like that. trading back for Ezra Cleveland is the kind of plan I feel like you make when you're assuming Andrew Thomas won't be an option. I could be wrong. I feel like that's asking for trouble to take a lesser prospect and a trade back because they're going to need that guy to play right away. Yep. They don't have another tackle. So it's Andrew Thomas is the one who's definitely better right now, or at least I feel like it's safe to say that. And uh, yeah, I, don't, I think it'd be kind of trying to get cute if you pass up a player like to, that.
1: He used to uh, clear the path for Nick Chubb way back when.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like him and the uh Isaiah Wilson too. I didn't project him at the first round for this one, but I think he'll be a top 40, top 50 pick. Wilson's uh, a beast. Yeah, I like him at a right at the right side too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if 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 uh the the Browns stay at 10 and take Andrew Thomas, then at 11 is where we should see uh the receiver run start. Might not though because again, in this in this projection, I have Jedrick Wills available at the 11th pick, which I don't know if the Jets had planned on that. I don't know how they would react to it. Uh, Becton is also on the board at the 11th pick but I feel like the Jets are stupid and I think I don't know like it's not that taking Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb would be a bad pick at 11 it would be a good pick but in conjunction with signing George Fant at left tackle it would be a stupid thing to do like if you're signing George Fant at left tackle you should be taking a tackle with a 10th pick because you basically are sure Fant is not an answer but the Jets might think he is so If they think that, then maybe they would pass on both Wills and Becton, start the receiver run. If they take a tackle here, then that screws up the whole wide receiver economy in the draft, though, because if the Jets don't take one, if the the Raiders at 12 take Judy or Lamb, the the one they don't take could fall to the 20th pick or something like that, uh, maybe even later. So we'll see. I don't know. It felt wrong for me to, to put Judy and Lamb lower than the 11th and 12th pick. So I kind of forced them there, even though there's definitely a case to make that I should have put Wills or Beckton or both uh, higher than I did. But I, I gave Judy to the Jets at 11, Lamb to the, to the Raiders at 12. And then at the 13th pick where the 49ers uh, traded DeForest Buckner to the Colts for that for that selection, I had them take Javon Kinlaw. I'm also not as high on Javon Kinlaw as most draft media are at the moment, but he's pretty similar to Brown. So I can't really – you know, I can't concede that Brown would go ninth and then say, but Kinlaw will go 22nd or something. I think they should respectively go about the 13th or the 15th pick and then the 20th or the 22nd. But in this case, I projected nine for Brown and 13 to the 49ers for Kinlaw. Becton to the Buccaneers at 14, I think, is actually the ideal landing spot for Beckton because they got Donovan Smith at left tackle. The right tackle, Joe Haig, is not a serious option. They, they really need to get a better tackle, I think. Becton would be great. Uh, Jedrick Wills would be great. I gave them Becton, though, just because if I have to pick someone to fall out of a group of Becton, Thomas, Werf's. uh, whatever else um i think it would be wills because i know he's a i know he's a really good prospect and he's he looks like he's got a very high floor but six four three twelve tackles aren't traditionally coveted they, they traditionally are the guys who are regarded as like the low ceiling types so if someone's gonna fall i feel like it would be wills because he he didn't even play the left side did he He played no, like the played right, right side right side
1: he's alex built, leatherwood i think is the left tackle at alabama
2: OK, uh, so I know Wills is good. He's very skilled, but it's like he's built like a zone blocking guard rather than a left tackle. And, you know, if you're paying up for for a tackle in the first round, you, you do want that upside Becton. You can see the upside with him. You can see the left tackle upside with Wirfs and Thomas. I don't see it quite as easily with Wills. So I had him fall past 14 where, where, the, where the Buccaneers took Becton. And then we have Henry Ruggs go at fifteen. And you know, if, if the if the Broncos trade up to ten with Cleveland, I don't know if it's Ruggs that they're going after. I actually the, the mock that I did before this, the three-rounder, I think, or maybe it was the one before that, I can't remember. But I actually had Cleveland trading back with Denver to take Jerry Judy, which is if I was Denver, I would take Judy over Ruggs, no question. And I like Ruggs. It's not that I dislike him, it's just rugs is the guy you take at 15 if you stay at 15 and if you trade up you just you take the better receiver which is judy so i i don't know if they're at 15 rugs is an easy enough pick uh there's some other players they could use like patrick queen at linebacker but i gave them rugs and hopefully he would keep the safeties away from courtland sutton uh, maybe give drew Locke a little bit more time to throw because he probably don't want to blitz quite as much when that speed is on the field Um, But yeah anyway Jedrick Wills I have fall all the way to 18 to Miami
1: and the Dolphins would would be flipping out if they if they didn't have to do any trading to get their quarterback and then also were able to get you know one of that that top tier of tackles with with their second pick.
2: Yeah, and I think it's like they need that Falcons trade to happen for that to be vaguely possible because Wills basically should not fall that far. And if he did, there's a pretty strong chance someone else who ne- who previously didn't plan on it would trade up for him. Uh, so we'll see. Like Carolina could trade back again from the 16th pick that I gave them. Uh, so they they switched with the Falcons, in other words, and they could trade back a second time if Wills is still on the board. They could take Wills. I don't know. I gave them Clavon Chaisson, however you pronounce it. Um, but so that him, was
1: him with Brian Burns would be kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, and Chaisson I can't figure out because people were comparing him to Alden Smith, and then he measured in with like 32 inch arms, and it's like that's that's nothing like Alden Smith. Alden Smith was like. 6'5, 260 with like 35 inch arms, and then Chison is 6'3, 254 with like 32 and a half inch arms. Like he might be good, but he's not Alden Smith. And I can't quite figure out what he is because it's it's all projection with him. Like he hasn't really done a whole lot. He had an ACL tear two years ago and he's still very young. So he, his development was stunted a little. And the assumption is like, oh well, once he turns 22 or 23, he's just gonna turn into a beast all of a sudden, which could be true. It's like I just I don't know how to make that call really, because he didn't do any testing either. Um, But anyway, it seems like he's going to go off in the top 20, top 25, something like that. Carolina, if they trade back, it it makes sense to go after more pass rush. They don't really have a whole lot as far as that goes, aside from aside from Burns, like you said. Um, But yeah, Jordan Love, I gave to the Raiders at 19. I don't know what they could possibly do other than this even though it doesn't seem like a that great of an idea or that great of an opportunity but it's like if they don't take love they're never going to take a quarterback and they're just going to keep doing this thing where it's like let's see if Derek Carr's a little better no he's not let's see if Marcus Mariota that's not so great either oh well another year with the Raiders going six and ten or whatever and and it's like you don't accumulate these first round picks for the purpose of just like Never taking a quarterback like you have to strike eventually and it's, it's kind of like now or never they got to take Jordan Love or uh, Jalen Hurts or they got to trade for Deshaun Watson or something like they can't just keep using all these multiple first rounders and taking more Cleland Farrell's or whatever
1: yeah that yeah that would be a mistake so they definitely need to figure out their, their next plan of action at, at quarterback uh whether love is the kind of guy that that gruden uh you know gruden i feel like has a type when it comes to his quarterbacks and it's 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 not Derek carr obviously but uh you know picking picking the fourth of the four kind of projected first round quarterbacks i don't know how he would feel about it but uh we'll, we'll see maybe he's just waiting for for trevor lawrence next year but uh that could be it, i, I guess. don't i don't think he wants to lose that much either that to the degree that you would need to to, to get a Trevor Lawrence so um, yeah I, uh, Vegas their second pick is very very difficult to figure out but I, I could definitely see where you're going uh, when it comes to Jordan Love your, your next pick um, here uh, th- this is the pick for the Jaguars that came from the Jalen Ramsey trade a player that I think is probably uh, the second best edge player in this draft uh, the, the guy that I would go after once Chase Young comes off the board, a guy that really stood out to me on film and in the production is really strong as well, and that's Yader Gross Matos, a defensive end out of Penn State.
2: Yeah, I think he's good, and I actually like him a lot more than Chaison, but I guess part of the issue is teams, at least as far as I've read, they don't take uh, Gross Matos as anything other than a 4-3 end, whereas Chaison can can more obviously project as a 3-4 outside linebacker type uh, which they run with the Panthers uh, but yeah gross matos is clearly the better player I think and I think he uh, is generally underrated actually he he could have had a little bit better uh, like we, it would be nice to have like a four six eight forty on the books for him something like that or better uh, but he had good jumps at the combine his reach is insane uh, he actually I think could be a, a bit like Jason Pierre Paul or something like that and uh, is, is bad or um, even, even with his good numbers at Penn State, Gross Matos, uh, it look, looked like in, in a bunch of games he was playing with a broken hand because he had a club on. Uh, so if, if you could put up the numbers that he did playing with a club for however many games it was, that's that's pretty convincing to me. I, th- I think he's going to be uh, pretty, I think he's pretty clearly the best edge defender in this class. And I I wouldn't blame a team for taking him in like the top 15. I think he's, probably going to be really good
1: yeah the the tools are there for him so whoever ends up with him whether it you know whether it's at pick 15 or later um, and I I certainly could see it being later in the first round than even 20 uh, but wherever it ends up I I really do feel like he's going to be uh, one of the best players from this from this edge class and one of the better players in this class overall Um, let's move on down uh, pick 21 um, a lot of noise around Philadelphia it is felt throughout the draft season that Philadelphia receiver it's going to happen um you went a slightly different direction though
2: yeah uh, so they kept sean Jeffrey if they had cut or traded him i would have been a little more convinced they're going receiver in the first round but now i don't think they are cuz now they they still have Alshon Jeffrey deshaun Jackson uh JJ Ortega Whiteside Greg Ward um I, and i know that's not exciting for anybody but i can imagine them convincing themselves that they can get a good
1: enough receiver in the second or third they round definitely can so i think this yeah. would be much smarter
2: yeah patrick queen uh so i this is one of those cases where i i defer to people like uh, charles mcdonald and Derek classen and and uh bets at all 22 it's like they've i've seen them talking about kenneth murray the oklahoma linebacker and i've seen them talk about patrick queen and these guys know a lot about football the x's and o's and such and they all loudly agree like emphatic consensus it's like Kenneth Murray can barely play linebacker uh like he's all tools basically and Dang, I really uh, like
1: Kenneth Murray on film but those guys uh those are film guys that, that operate at a different level than I do
2: Right. Yeah. It's like Murray piled up numbers and he made a lot of cool plays, but he also apparently did not have any technical aspect to his game. So these guys who know a lot more than me about this stuff, they are saying Patrick Queen is clearly better. So I guess I would assume the NFL will agree and Patrick Queen, I think, will go in the first round, whereas Murray at this point, I'm not convinced that he will. I don't know if he's going to go in the first like forty five picks. Um, but we'll we'll see though, and Queen would be a good pick for you know whatever team gets him, and, and the Eagles don't have many needs, so uh, get, getting a fast guy who's who's really good at linebacker, good in coverage at linebacker, would be a good pick for them, I think. Uh, at the 22nd pick, the Vikings, I gave them Jalen Johnson, the corner from Utah. I, I put him ahead of Jeff Gladney and a couple of the other guys, basically because he's young and was he was really good on a really good defense. So that's that's good to see. I think when when a guy's basically like the best player on a defense, that stands out, and uh, he's still young, has still has development to project, like Johnson does. Uh, so he could go in the first round. It's it's basically between him and like Noah Igbinagain or whatever his name is from Auburn, Jeff Gladney from TCU, uh, AJ Terrell from Clemson. Uh, any of those guys could be a pick for the Vikings, either here or at their twenty fifth pick. They might need to take two corners in the first round. I don't, I don't really think they will. Um, but yeah, I had Jalen Hurts go twenty third in a trade up, the the second of the two trades in this draft. Um, I had the Patriots trading out of the first round to the thirty fourth pick, where the where the Colts have their their second rounder, and trading up into the first round for Jalen Hurts makes sense for whatever team it is that takes Jalen Hurts, just because you get that fifth year option on the contract that way uh so if if it's the colts that would make a lot of sense to me if it's if it's nobody that wouldn't be shocking but if i was a team that w- convinced themselves that jalen hurts is good and is worth drafting i could basically convince myself that he's worth taking in the first round just because uh yeah you don't you don't want to take like a project quarterback on a four-year deal really like it, you'll take him if it's like late third round then it's you know who cares. But uh, you might need two years to develop or something and then you're gonna have to like pay the guy a lot as soon as he's any use so uh, I think if the Colts want him it would make sense to move into the first 32 picks to get that extra year on the contract
1: yeah and I think that you've had the scent out for for Hertz in Indianapolis for a while Um, I can't think of a better mentor uh, than than Philip Rivers in terms of uh, a game that matches Hertz's yeah. And I, yeah, I'm kidding. That's that was me I mean, being,
2: it's it's good to learn from no, somebody like him, even definitely. though they're totally different. But yeah, I just it's like, he's got to play somewhere. And I don't yeah. know
1: of a team that could use him more obviously. So I'm like, eh, what the hell? No, that, that it's good. I, I just I, I like the idea of like, uh, Philip Rivers, like in running around trying to like, uh, or
2: uh, imagine hurts. Or imagine Jalen Hurts, he gets on the, like Rivers, uh, he, 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 like pulls his back or something. They have to take him out and uh, they put Hurts out there and he's like, just, he, he's like slow in throwing shot put motion. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> learned like, this oh, you new know. throwing
2: motion. <laughs> rivers really did teach him. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I think he would make sense. And, you know, Reich, he's, he's a pretty impressive coach. And if, if somebody can develop Hurts, Reich would be kind of like, a top three candidate in my mind to, to be able to pull it off. Uh, But anyway, the next pick I gave Brandon Ayuk to the saints. I don't really see it with Ayuk, or at least I'm, I'm not willing to consider him better than Jalen Rager, uh, who I project two picks later to the Vikings at the 25th or sorry, the next picks pick pick. to the Vikings at the 25th. But all the NFL media, including Bob McGinn are saying like Brandon Ayuk is a top five receiver. It's consensus thing. He's probably going in the first round. If he does, then I think the Vikings and the saints make the most sense. Uh, so yeah, I gave Rager to the Vikings at the next pick with Ayuk being off the board. I don't want Rager to go there. I, I want Rager to go to like the chiefs or something like that, uh, or, or the Ravens, uh, some offense where I, th- I think it's already going to be explosive and, and something that will amplify his strengths. But uh, the Vikings, you know, even though they probably wouldn't get the most out of him, they, they could use his speed. Uh, pretty much any team could, of course. Um, but, yeah, 26, Justin Matabuike to the to the Dolphins. Uh, he's just like a – he's a guy who can play defensive tackle in a nickel formation. He can play like uh, over the – what is it? uh is it three tech they call it like you play over the guard over the guard and, yeah between the guard and the tackle depending on your alignment and they they want to do all that amoeba front stuff in in miami so he would be a good pick for them gave austin jackson the other uh, the other tackle uh, to the seahawks just because he's a he's like a spark specimen and traditionally the seahawks like guys like that gave your ravers uh your ravens uh, cesar ruiz Instead of uh, I, I had I had liked Rager. Rager would be perfect for the Ravens. I, I just if 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 he's there, I really hope they take they take them. But uh, in this scenario, if, if Rager's gone, obviously it's a moot point. And Cesar Ruiz, Lloyd Cushenberry, somebody like that, I think the Ravens need to
1: get. Yeah, they need and, they need an interior lineman now that Yonda is gone. Yeah, yeah. So
2: him or Cushenberry, I think would be pretty interesting. Uh, the Titans, I'm giving just some corner. I don't care. It seems like they got to take a corner though. Uh, I also want to say loose loose projection here uh, or prediction here. Uh, I think Ben Barch has to end up on the Titans because Mike Vrabel I think like as soon as he heard that story about how he eats garbage eggs and <laughs> eggs power <empowering. laughs> Yeah, when Ben Barch was like I have I have a big trash bag f- for breakfast every single day. It's like 30 pounds of just trash. I think <laughs> Vrabel heard that and was like this is my son and <laughs> I think he's going to bring his son home. Uh, <laughs> not in the so. first round, though. Uh, probably the second round. Sure. Uh, but yeah, anyway, after the Titans, Green Bay at the 30th pick, I'm kind of, I kind of, uh, I don't know why this didn't occur to me before, but having written it out and seeing Justin Jefferson, 30th pick, Green Bay, I'm kind of committed to this now. And it's because. I, I can't trust the Packers to necessarily be smart or whatever. They could Lafleur, the new uh, front office, they might turn out to be bozos for all I know. But if they're if they're not bozos, they can't really go into this year with Alan Lazard as their top slot receiver, right? Like mm-hmm. I like Lazard, but he's he profiles better outside. I think. In um, either way, it's like if he's the best you can do in the slot, you know, it's better than Geronimo Allison, I guess. But we saw how much it hurts the offense. To have a zero in the slot, uh, Justin Jefferson, I think, would be a perfect pick there. Uh, you know, t- Totally reasonable price. I think some people overrate him, but the Packers getting him at 30 would be uh, well played, I think.
1: Yeah, that would be a nice addition. I, I think the, the Packers can't leave at least day two. Um, without at least one new receiver, I think that um, we we've seen enough from the the class of what 2018 uh, that that haul that they had where they addressed receiver, but they kind of were cocky about it and did it uh, on I think all on day three, and none of those guys really sticking out as guys that you want to build around so uh, i think they definitely need to build up at receiver and ju- if justin jefferson's there i think that's it that's a uh that's a no-brainer type of pick um and then let's round it out here before we get into some uh receiver uh rumors here
2: yeah so uh after after uh, justin jefferson at the 30th pick i gave at 31 to san francisco ezra cleveland i feel like San Francisco needs to get an offensive tackle in this draft. Cause uh, Joe Staley is going to be 36. And if they want a classic, Shanahan kind of offensive lineman I think it would need to be someone like uh well Jedrick Wills Andrew Thomas Worfs. it's like those guys are so good they can work in any kind of scheme including the Shanahan one uh but as far as this pick the 31st pick Austin Jackson and Ezra Cleveland would both make a lot of sense because they're both uh, and especially Jackson he's like hyper-athletic but uh, Cleveland's very athletic he's like a finesse kind of zone blocking Classic zone blocking sort of prospect. So he would make sense at the 31st pick. I gave Jonathan Taylor to the Chiefs again because it's like, I don't know, the Chiefs don't really have obvious needs. And why not make this luxury pick? If you're going to have a luxury pick, like, why not just answer the running back position with the 32nd overall selection? You know, for the next four or five years, it's not as if they're spending a top 10 pick on him. It's not like they're going to pay him a lot. They're going to be paying him very little in this scenario, actually. So uh, they should take that opportunity if they have it, in my opinion. Uh, you might have noticed I did not have Denzel Mims in the first round of this draft. And uh, there's been there's been an online kind of like turn against him. Like before the, the past like two months, every day pretty much has been like Denzel Mims is so good. He's so awesome he's he's like he's so explosive. he never caught a
1: screen pass so he's good
2: well it's 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 a tough ca- i don't want to make it sound like i am dismissing mims because i think he's a good prospect it's just i get creeped out when people start being a, a, like so hyperbolic about things and when they um like when they don't justify their enthusiasm really and i, I don't think people really did they just kind of said stuff like well, he's good, at the combat, uh, he's good at the senior bowl and he makes all these jump ball plays and he's so acrobatic. And like, you know, on some level, if you're that acrobatic and you need to keep showing how acrobatic you are, it's like maybe you're not really getting open. Like maybe, maybe if you created more separation, I wouldn't know you were so acrobatic because you just kind of like catch the ball and keep running. Um, but he definitely is fast. He's definitely acrobatic. Uh, he's, he's good on s- to some extent. It's just like he never outproduced the baseline of the Baylor offense. He, he gets credit for volume. He carried a lot of volume, and that means something, and especially it means something in, in conjunction with his awesome testing at the Combine. But I really would like to see a player outproduce the baseline and carry a high-volume amount. Uh, that's that's when I can really feel comfortable about a prospect um, but with people suggesting that Mims is like a top 15, top 20 pick, it's like I never saw grounds for that. And and when no one comes out to make a case as to why I should specifically rank him that high, I feel like they're kind of not making the case. I feel like they're just skipping the question and kind of trying to focus on the, the warm, fuzzy things about about his player profile, like the highlights basically. Yeah, and the, the, te- uh,
1: the testing certainly get- – um, did more for him than, you know, maybe any receiver in this class. I think coming into the combine, maybe a day, th- like a mid day three guy. And then, and then uh, he just blows Mimps? it up. Yeah.
2: I think, uh, I think he was going to be like a round two or three kind of pick. Uh, I was, I guess, thinking more like round three at the time back yeah. during the senior bowl. Um, but yeah, he had, he had his fans even back then. And then like after the combine, it was just like, Denzel Mims is better than Jalen Rager, and, you know. I, I just, I'm a Rager fanboy, I guess. But I, like, once people say something like that, that's a very different frame for me than the the frame of Mims is good generally. Like, I agree with that. Uh, okay, but w- w- we're ranking him higher than some people. It's like, nah, now you're now you're creeping me out. Um, so yeah, this Bob McGinn article where he he asked the scouts to to rank the receivers, Denzel Mims checks in at nine. nine. Yeah, so that's that's quite a bit lower than some people were projecting. Um. The thing about the screen pass thing that you mentioned, it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's not like the reason that he was below the team's baseline. It's like it, – it would it would explain being below the completion percentage baseline but not the yards per target. Like he should have been a guy, in my opinion, who did at least nine yards a target in the Baylor offense, if the Baylor offense is averaging 7.8 yards per pass. And instead, he was kind of just like right at the baseline or trivially above it. So it's like if you have all these athletic tools and you're big and you're acrobatic, why – if you if you have skill too, why wouldn't it show up more in the box score? Like there could be an excuse. I'm just skeptical. And like when people don't even bother addressing it, I, I think it's interesting. So at nine here, he comes in later than Rager, who's at eight. Uh, he also comes in later than Brian Edwards
1: at seven. It, it feels like it feels like because Brian Edwards' injury, he almost is like dropped out of the off the face of the earth as far as like the Twitter discourse in this. But clearly, uh, he still has his fans among NFL scouts.
2: Yeah, and the the McKinnon article isn't foolproof. Like it's not always one to it's it's never one to one with the results in the draft order. So this isn't uh, like a lock or anything. But yeah, I think this is enough to say people generally were too low on Edwards. Like you can still say Mims is better than Edwards. Like I, I don't even think I would disagree with that. Like I think they're they're, they're like similarly graded prospects to me, uh, at least in the absence of workout numbers for Edwards because of that broken foot. Um, but yeah, it's like if, if he's ranked seven in the McGinn article, then everybody else was basically too low on him because you'd see him ranked like 15th among receivers or something like that. Right. Um, I feel like I've kind of been in the middle. Like I, I couldn't stand by him as as much once he didn't test Uh, just because of the other receivers that we have in this class did test and did so well it's like all else being equal i gotta give the advantage to the guy who was in the same tier but has the good athletic testing i can't just take the leap of faith you know not responsibly anyway um see i like i like edwards i don't think i would rank him ahead of mims and i'm even a mims skeptic um but it's good to see because like yeah edwards you know, he, he, at the very least, he kind of had a, a bad deal there getting hurt after already playing four years at South Carolina. Um, so, yeah, that's it's interesting that Mims is that low. And uh, LaVisca Chennault also down at 10. They're pretty skeptical of him, uh, which I kind of agree with. Uh, I don't I don't I don't really see the hype so much, uh, at least not the way other people do. Um, but, yeah, the McGinn article is interesting. Another another one, Van Jefferson at 11. I don't agree with that at all. I think people are crazy. Uh, to rank Van <laughs> Jefferson that high. I think I think he's just like
1: Keelan Cole or something like that. Okay. Um anything else stand out to you? It feels like Michael Pittman has gotten a good bit of buzz, but this one also has him uh lower than than maybe the discourse would suggest.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Like we don't know how many scouts begin polled. We don't know what kind of sample he's working with. We don't know how representative of the average scout these guys and their opinions might be. Uh and it's interesting, he's down at uh 12 or whatever Michael Pittman is. But it reads as just praise. It doesn't say like any sort of concerns, really. It's just kind of like, yeah, he's big guy, he's pretty good, 12th. So that reads to me like these are fluid rankings, even for this group, and this group might not be representative of, of the rest. So uh, I think Pittman is probably regarded more like top eight, top nine. Like I, I would not find a good reason to put – Pittman behind brian edwards he's not even as someone higher on brian edwards than most people so uh, i wouldn't be surprised if, if these are not super reflective of of much uh, especially um or at least other than reflective of of mims pitman uh higgins kind of just being lumped together like i, I just don't think that the, the idea that mims is better than them is all that viable anymore.
1: Okay. All right. So that, that definitely, um, adds up. And again, you guys can check that article out over at the athletic, uh, always kind of a fun read around this time of year to, to, you know, you've done all your homework at this point, but, uh, hearing from, from a different, uh, source that you don't really run into every day on Twitter. It's always kind of a fun little, uh, comparing of notes. Anything else to add up, uh, on for you here before we wrap things up?
2: Uh, not really. There's this one quote, this one guy they quote, this one scout they quote in the McGinn article every year. You can always spot him because he always says the same stuff. He's, he's the guy who says, quote, like, he can't play. He can't catch. He'll, he'll like, talk about a guy and, and just say, like, and he sucks. And it's <laughs> they're the best quotes. They're,
1: they're, the, they're, the,
2: they're the main reason the article is good.
1: I respect the bluntness.
2: Yeah, it just it, like the. Uh, I think he he gave a comment on Okwagbunum, too because he's he's saying like he's a big guy, fast, soft, non-factor,
1: <laughs>
2: subhuman. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, man, keep going, keep going.
1: Distill the takes, baby. Give me the strongest of the takes all right that's gonna wrap things up for this week's rotowire nfl podcast we'll be back next week on wednesday get you at least one more podcast here before the draft officially kicks off on thursday april 23rd for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening